Let us be attentive. The Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord has chastened me sorely. Wisdom. The reading is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Let us be attentive. Brethren, you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to our food and drink? Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a wife as the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say this on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope, the thresher thresh in hope, of a share in the crop. If we have sown spiritual good among you, is it too much if we reap your material benefits? If others share this rightful claim upon you, do not we still more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Peace be with you, the reader. Wisdom arise. Let us hear the Holy Gospel. Peace be with you all. The reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. said this parable, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, 
came upon one of, the fe of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and besought him, Have patience on me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you besought me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. And in anger his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Peace. Be with you, proclaim the gospel. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the life of St. John Climacus, that is St. John, the author of the Ladder of Divine Ascent, which is familiar to us because on the fourth Sunday of Lent each year, we bring him and his beautiful book to mind, the night of his, rather the day, of his installation as the abbot of the holy monastery, the famous one of St. Catherine's on Mount Sinai, it says that after the liturgy, after his official installment as the abbot of that holy monastery in the you know, probably late 500s, there were about 600 pilgrims who came to visit and to be with him on that day. Interestingly enough, as they were sitting at table, of course, some of the monks were serving and doing this and that, but there was an interesting man dressed in a white tunic, dressed like an ancient Hebrew, scurrying about, running all over the place, serving, giving orders, directing people where to go, and really no one recognized who this person was. And after everyone had kind of dispersed and left, the fathers were asking Abbot John, you know, what? so where is that person? Who was that? And he goes, don't worry, leave the Lord Moses alone. He was just here in his own house, serving as he always had. Because this monastery is on Mount Sinai, you see this is where, of course, the great Moses had so many of his revelations, so many encounters with the living God, and therefore it was his home, his place. So St. John didn't find it strange that he was there, although this is, of course, thousands of years later of the physical life of Moses. I bring him up today because on the 4th of September, in our church calendar, we remember and commemorate this great prophet 
this God-seer, the one who saw God, Moses, and honor him for the great role in the history of salvation that God chose him to do. Many of us here, I'm sure, have seen the great movie, in my opinion, The Ten Commandments, so we're probably familiar with the Hollywood version of Moses, Charlton Heston, and what he did, and know some things about his life based on that movie, such as, of course, that he was, you know, a babe put in a basket and flowed down the river. In fact, his name Moses means to be drawn from the water in Egyptian because that's where he was taken from, taken from and raised in Pharaoh's court. We also know that he was chosen by God to lead the people of Israel, right, out of slavery, to take them out of Egypt into the promised land. We know the famous callings on Mount Sinai, where St. Catherine's Monastery is, that he saw the burning bush there, that he received the holy commandments from God there, and so many other wonderful things about his life. We're also told that he's the author by tradition, and even our Lord himself says this in the books of Moses, that is, the very first five books of our Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, through Deuteronomy are attributed to Moses' hand. We know from Holy Scripture that his parents were Amram and Jochebed, and of course that his siblings were the prophet Aaron and the prophetess Miriam. What I wanted to focus on a little bit today, instead of just giving you a biographical sketch of the great prophet Moses, which you can read, hopefully, in your lives of the saints on this day, the 4th of September. But because we have a beautiful feast of the church coming up on the 14th of September, which is the exaltation of the Holy Cross, I wanted to reflect on how the Holy Cross itself was brought about, how it was prefigured in the life of this great prophet of God, Moses. First, we can turn to the Exodus event itself. This is when, of course, God told Moses and all the Hebrew people to slay a perfect lamb, to take the blood of that lamb, to anoint their doors, that is, of course, on the bottom, on the right and the left, and that the blood of that lamb would pour it on the bottom, thus forming a shape of a cross on each Hebrew's household in order that the destroyer that was going to come over Egypt would pass over those homes and spare the Hebrews from death. We see this sealing of the sign of the cross even from this very event. And we know that this sealing, signing of the cross, is something so precious to each and every one of us. The prayers of the church call for the very day when a baby is born, to bring the priest to bless mother, of course, but to seal with a sign of the cross that newly born human being brought into this life. Therefore, after that, shortly after, of course, we are once again sealed with the sign of the cross in holy baptism and chrismation, each one of our senses being consecrated with that blessed symbol. We seal ourselves, as we know, very frequently with this beautiful sign of the cross, with whatever we are about to do, 
when we first wake up, sign ourselves with the cross, thanking God for the day. When we are about to eat, when we are about to get into our cars or embark on a journey, when we're about to take an exam, before we go to sleep, before we eat our meals, whatever it might be, we see ourselves sealing ourselves with this beautiful cross. Being signed with the cross, we know ultimately that death itself will pass over us because of what Christ accomplished on that cross. Soon after the marking of the cross on the houses of the Hebrews, once again we see Moses use this beautiful symbol in the spirit understanding the power that it has. As they are being pursued by the Egyptians and coming close to the Red Sea, we could say that they cross by the cross. It's very beautiful when you look at it. First, he comes to this great sea, this great body of water. He takes his staff and he goes like this. He makes, let's say, a vertical sign with that cross and the sea parts. And because it parts, they walk through that Red Sea, crossing it. As they get to the other side and they're being pursued by Pharaoh and the chariots and all of his armies, what then does Moses do? But with a horizontal sign now, he goes like this, and the sea comes back together, and it drowns the Egyptian armies pursuing them. We see this beautiful sign right there in the Passover event as they go over the sea by the sign of the cross. And we know that the cross leads to our own escape from the enemy, from the devil, from the passions that pursue us constantly. Once again, as the people were grumbling because they are in the desert and they have no good water, but rather what is reported in the scriptures as undrinkable and bitter water, God instructs Moses to do something rather strange, we would say, just by the letter and looking at what the scripture says. He says, take a piece of wood and throw it into the water. And then what happens to that water? The Bible tells us that it becomes sweet, it becomes refreshing, and it becomes drinkable. That wood, we understand as a type of prefigurement to be the holy cross of our Lord, which causes bitter things to become sweet. The bitterness of this life that we often encounter and the sourness of temptations and trials and sorrows are turned into sweet and life-giving experiences by the power of the cross, as we see from that example from the Israelites in the desert. Once again, what about this war with Amalek that we encounter again in those first five books of the Bible? The Israelites encounter the Amalekites during their sojourn in the desert. And the Amalekites often attacked the Israelites, so they were at war with them constantly. In the first encounter, we see Moses is standing on a hill as he's overlooking the battle between, again, the Israelites and the Amalekites. He stretches out his hands like this, it's described, and as soon as he does that, the Israelites start to prevail and take victory and win over their enemy. 
Interestingly, and rather maybe humorously, Moses starts to get tired. He can't keep doing this. So his hands start to go down, and he kind of gets weak. And as his hands are let down to his sides, all of a sudden, the reverse happens. The Amalekites start to prevail and take over and start winning and becoming victorious in that battle. So Moses knows that something special is happening when he has his arms outstretched. He calls for Aaron and for her to stand under each of his arms and so to hold them up high like this as Christ was in between the two thieves on his cross and which with old Moses' arms outstretched, the Israelites ultimately become victorious because of that cross shape that he is in victory ensues. <coughs> Here we are taught that the cross is power. It is strength. It is victory against our spiritual enemies, the demons, and that by the cross of Christ, we can become victorious over them. Again, we come to another episode that Thirsty in the middle of the desert, there is no water to be found at this time, not even bitter water in another occasion. But they come across a rock, and Moses comes to this rock, and he strikes it with his staff. But it's very specific how he strikes that rock. Once again, there is the vertical strike and a horizontal strike. And out of this rock comes rushing water, and refreshment. When we are spiritually parched and our prayers are dry, we don't have any motivation, we can learn from this, brothers and sisters, that we can flee to the cross of the Lord for refreshment and for renewed strength. <coughs> Next week, in the Gospel reading, Christ will refer to another episode of Moses in the desert, of the bronze serpent. But we will wait until next week to hear that incredible event. So we can see, brothers and sisters, the power and the mystery of the cross is unfathomable. And it was foreshadowed long ago in the Holy Scriptures, especially we see in the life and in the person of the prophet Moses as one of the hymns of the church clearly described this for us. When Moses inscribed a cross with his rod extended, he split the Red Sea for the host of Israel that went on foot. Then crosswise, once again, he struck it and united it on Pharaoh's chariots, portraying on its surface the invincible weapon of the cross. Therefore, to Christ our God, let us all sing, for he has been glorified. Let us therefore continually flee to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take refuge in its power by marking ourselves with it constantly with faith. For the cross, as we have seen and as we know, saves, strengthens, heals, refreshes, forgives, 
and bestows on us the eternal life that Christ has given to us. By the grace of Christ our God, our Savior, to whom be the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand.